Hey everybody, thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Coming Up In My Sneakers. Today we have David Pinard, who is an actor, and he's actually best known for being on The Bachelorette Canada. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so uh, everybody listening to this podcast knows that I just jump right into things, and let's start off with uh, where you were born and raised. Oh, cool. So we're starting right from when I was right from uh, the zero years old. This is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm originally from Windsor, Ontario. Um, absolutely loved it there. I have a lot of family and great friends. Um, but to pursue my acting career, I had to move to Toronto. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like as a kid, did you know that you wanted to be an actor like from the get-go? Or how did sort of that dream come about? Uh, it was weird. I was actually quite a shy kid. And people who knew me in grade school and a little bit of high school to then find out I was an actor were like, what, the shy kid? Really? Uh, and I, I vividly remember I always had a passion for like TV and film that in grade six there was a Wizard of Oz play going on at my grade school. And I practiced the uh, lollipop kid song with my mom. And uh, (laughs) I was like really excited to try and get into this play. And then I remember I was sitting in the auditorium and my was getting closer to my name being called. And I was so scared. I just chickened out and walked home and just just told my mom that I auditioned and they didn't like me. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah. That's odd. Like, I want to like hug that age of you like that Mm -hmm. you're (laughs) aw. Um, so do you know, like looking back, was it just cause you were so scared or do you know why that sort of came about? As I, as I study more as an actor, it's those, um, the idea of thoughts and fears sometimes can be so overwhelming because you don't really know what they are. Um, you have in your mind this picture of what could happen when in reality, that's just a thing that I created in my head to be like, this could potentially happen. And it'd be like, it's really not that bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of changed the entire thing for me was in grade 10. Um, I was like, you know what? Drama is a, a class that I could potentially take. So I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. So during the exercises in class, I always got, you know, good laughs out of the people and uh, such good feedback from my drama teacher where he's like, you need to be in my musical. And I was like, "Uh, I can't do auditions. (laughs) And he goes, you don't have to audition. I'll just put you right into my musical. Oh, perfect. So I was like, oh, wow. So uh, my first ever song I ever sang was in this musical where I sang In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. No! Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I just think super bad. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Song, that's great. Yeah, so that was my first thing, and that's um, probably I, I could credit a lot of my success to that drama teacher. And wow. it's the idea of somebody seeing something in you and encouraging it, um, which is what I try to do in um, you know younger people who are getting into the industry. Uh, and I won't bullshit people. Like if I I truly think somebody's good, I'll definitely encourage them. If I think they're not very good, I'll be pretty Simon Cowell on them um, because. I think a lot of people sometimes want to get into acting because they like this idea of fame Mm -hmm. and music when primarily I feel like it's just not a a strength or talent that comes to them naturally rather than maybe they realize like, hey, like maybe I'm actually really good at building things, Mm -hmm. but you negate it because it doesn't come with the fame and notoriety. But like if you can find something that you kind of naturally have this innate ability to, I find that would be a better way to harness your time and... 
rather than try and pursue something that is it's just kind of not in you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel like fame is a byproduct anyway of anything. Like you could be mm-hmm. the best builder and still gain fame. So it's so funny after. you say that. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I was watching, but uh, this guy was talking about like whatever you do, if you aspire to be the best in it, somebody TLC or somebody will, will find a video you. of you. Yeah. He's like, you're the best burger flipper. There will be a show called Burger Flippers and you will be the guy on that show, totally. right? So it's that idea that um, it, in whatever field you aspire to be in, um, aspire to be the best that you can possibly be. And I think a thing that's really tough is we live in this world of comparison and they'll see somebody and you compare yourself to them where it's kind of you see like somebody and say I'm not going to be the world's best singer so why try but there it's all subjective right mm-hmm. like there is no that is why there is no one singer who is just universally known as the best singer in the world right mm-hmm. besides Mariah Carey <laughs> so um so yeah it's, it's kind of a cool thing that also took me some time to anytime as an actor I hit some road bumps I'd always be like trying to compare myself to other people where I, a cool thing says um, the only person you should be comparing yourself to is the person you were yesterday. yesterday yeah. yeah. I, I believe that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so quick question. Do you have any siblings at all? I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I just wonder what the dynamic, like was he into acting as well or was that sort of a path that you took on your own? So yeah, that's, that's a funny thing that I always, um, me and my brother, he's two years older than me and we were both in soccer. We were both singers. We we're both actors. So our oh, whole relationship growing up is competition we always just kind of and he had a two-year head start on me so by nature he was always bigger faster stronger and all the things um but i think it was kind of maybe a good thing growing up with him because it always pushed me i always felt like an underdog i still to this day feel like an underdog um i think that's a second born like i'm second born too yeah and i think that's like the forever thing that you'll all i also feel like an underdog and it's like you're always trying to like match your older sibling but like if they're two or my in my case three years older than you like it's it's never gonna happen (laughs) but uh yeah and then it it kind of um a thing that kind of just made me cry and like break down was i was watching the show this is us and there's the two brothers in the one family and they're very competitive that when they get older and you can start to look back and be like oh shit like we didn't realize why we were acting that way and stuff. So I always feel like I don't really have a great relationship with my brother because it's just so competitive and it kind of really ruins the bonding experience. Interesting. And is he like as active as you are in the acting business So as not well? anymore. That was the thing. He's, um, he's still in Windsor and uh, he owns and operates some bars and stuff like that. So okay. he's in a different realm now. Um, so... You know, I kind of won, but it's not a big deal or anything. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay, so you're in grade 10 and you do this play. Uh And was that like a defining, changing experience for you? Like, were you like, I need to do more of this? Or how did you feel after that? Yeah, it's kind of um, a unique feeling for anybody who's never been on stage. It's kind of like a drug rush. Like you get in front of all these people and you have this control of attention. Um, and I was always kind of an attention seeker. I was always getting yelled at in class for talking too much and um, always wanting to entertain people. So once I got that kind of rush and saw what it kind of felt like, then I started seeking it more often. 
And uh, then after grade 10, I ended up getting one of the leads in grade 11 and then the, the lead in grade 12. So nice. it was kind of natural progression. And so we'll, you continued to act like pretty much since then. Since then, yeah. And that also, my music backs, uh, background as well. So it kind of encouraged me to keep doing music as well. I Do you d- play instruments or sing? Yeah, I play um, guitar and dabble on piano. And I oh, also nice. sing. Um, when I was 18 and I finished high school, I went on Canadian Idol and got oh, my no way. got my golden ticket. And then, uh, okay, hold on. I'm probably like I don't know why I don't watch like competition reality shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of them, but like I've never actually sat down and watched a full episode. So Canadian Idol, do you, you walk in, you audition, and then does someone have to like pick to work with you, or is that the voice? That's the voice. Okay, yeah. So, so Canadian can Idol for like behind the scenes is. Uh, they have this idea so they have a, a four judges and they have this um people who watch think everyone gets the ghost in front of those four judges right so they okay. uh they have like a pre-screening where you know you wait in these giant lines until you can get into this room and i got into this room with five other people and you hear everybody else sing and then they go you and you move on you three go home right like it's as clear as day like that right oh, so wow. So I went to that first one, and then they sent me to this other room where I met one of the producers, and I had to sing for the producer. And he, uh, I remember he goes, um, I sang for him, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to send you home. And then as my, I was walking out, he goes, wait. And I was like, what? And he's like, sing me one song as if it was the last song you'd ever sing on earth, right? And oh I think I sang A Whole New World <laughs> by Aladdin. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to give this to you. And so, Stop. so he gave me the, whatever the thing is to go and sing for the judges. So it's like, oh even just to get in front God. of the judges, I had to get to that point. And, and to have the, that happen where like your dream is crushed for a millisecond and yeah. then it's actually just kidding. Not that's yeah. insane. Um, so then I got in front of the judges. And who were they when you uh, auditioned? Uh, there's four, there's Farley Flex, Sash Jordan. And then there was, uh, the guy who's like Simon, I can't remember his name, and then there was a guy with like glasses, I can't remember his name either. Um, but <laughs> so both, of, guys both that... of them didn't like me, so okay. that's why I never really gave them too much um, uh, into it. Uh, so anyhow, then, then the next day I, I go and sing for them, and it's funny. It's kind of the process is they they find people who are really bad, and then people that they think right, are good are the ones energy. that they send to the judges, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, I sang a few, I think I said Save Tonight by Eagle Eye Cherry. And then they were like, we like it, but it's not really showing what you can do. And I was like, okay. And I sang something else. I think it was Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. And uh, two of the judges didn't like me and two of the judges liked me. And they were like, all right, sing the chorus of thing and that's it. You just get one chorus and then just give it all you got. And I did it and I ended up getting my golden ticket to get to the final hundred out of I think about 15,000 people auditioned so oh I made it to the final 100 nice and then in uh, they have Hollywood Week in American Idol but we go to Toronto and oh so were you were you auditioning in Windsor then no I was auditioning in Toronto I went oh, to audition okay. in Toronto and then I get sent to Toronto oh, Week okay, which is the okay. same place okay. where I'm like oh exciting I guess it would be different for people like in Alberta and stuff yeah Ooh, and they okay. get to fly across fly, the country right, and right, they right. cover everything you know they paid for my train ride and uh, they put me up at the Fairmont Royal York okay and um, and, and the Fairmont Royal York uh, was kind of a unique place for me because a lot of the auditions that I, I started doing when I was coming into getting into this world were there and it was like oh. for me it was like 
like a nightmare place because every time I was there, I failed at whatever it was, right? right? So and Canadian Idol came along and uh, I got past a little, I made it probably, I always say, I always say top 15, but it was kind of anywhere between 25 to 15 just because they sent home a bunch of people at one so time. I take the I take the front end thing mm-hmm. and you should why not yeah so uh, that happened that was awesome and then I, I released some of my own solo projects and um, yeah so sorry hold on uh, so are, when you did Canadian Canadian Idol you are like graduated from high school at this point right yeah and did you go to university at I all did I, oh, I okay. graduated human kinesiology oh that's at, right that's right uh, University of Windsor, which has nothing to do with what I'm doing. So anybody, <laughs> I always say when people are in their university classes, I always go, don't fret so much about what you expect to happen after university. Because for me, it's like, yeah, it's not it's not going to dictate your whole life. What I learned most from university was how to work with other people and yeah. create friendships and bonds, which I would love if that I ever work. get any success that makes me big enough to go back and talk to students is I would love to like preach to them how important the people that they're sitting next to is way more important than that piece of paper that they have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. So sorry, I just wanted to ask that. So yeah, you did. Uh, and were you acting throughout university as well? I took acting classes. Oh yeah. And then, uh, what was really cool is the, um, drama teacher that I had in high school, he had his own semi-professional, uh, theater company. Oh, nice. And so when I finished, I, auditioned for one of his musicals it was called Aida which I highly recommend if you've never watched it the music is by uh, Tim Rice and Elton John and it's fantastic nice. um, so I, I just had a background soldier role um, very exciting and uh, then the next year uh, they were doing High School Musical the musical mm. and I landed the role of Troy Bolton Zac Efron's character and the lead in it so I nice. had billboards and commercials of me as Zac Efron which was really cool to promote it that's awesome um, so that was like one of my first earlier successes that kind of just kept driving me and then things kind of slowed down I, I started getting into like the wedding singing and bar singing for a while and I got very comfortable and that was also a thing that I've kind of learned now is when you're so comfortable doing that thing that you're doing you're you're living and dying there. yeah like you need to push out of your comfort zone whatever it is and Toronto was always so scary for me that I was always like oh I could never cut it there because I had this fear of what it could be and then when you get there it just magically works out for yeah me. it's like it's hard to explain and you you kind of subconsciously force yourself to level up to like your surroundings exactly and meet, you know your your surroundings yeah so um then to follow all this up was uh I had uh, a little heartbreak and I was I was pretty depressed and while um, you're still living in Windsor while I was still living in Windsor yeah so I had a little heartbreak and I was depressed and I wasn't really sure what to do with my life but I knew I wanted to change or something so I ended up this is kind of literally what started my whole career was I was auditioning for a lot of things and I wasn't booking anything and my agent was like you need to find something that you can shoot on your own that can make you big. I'm like, I have zero budget. I have nothing. What could I put potentially do? So a friend of mine who was like, his name's Will Cattery. If you're listening, thanks so much for helping me out. But that uh, he ended up filming a cooking show. I have no cooking background. But I just <laughs> wanted to do something that was simple. I just needed me. I just needed some food. So I made a show called Dinner with Pinner, which you can check out on YouTube. Nice. Uh, about a guy who doesn't know how to cook, cooking for people who know how to cook less. Oh, okay. And it's like a comedy show where I drink beer and I just kind of mess around making like grilled cheese sandwiches and stuff like that. And what's crazy is that's what is so crazy. You put out into the universe this thing. It's just anything. Just put anything out into the universe that can give you any credit 
credibility in whatever it is. And an agent saw it, who is my agent for the last four years, and she said, I said, she offered that if she lets me, rep- she wanted to represent me that if she could get me on the Food Network with it. And I was like, bullshit. And then... So, sorry, how did how did this come into play? Like, your friend was going to make this show anyway? And no, just no, no. Oh, okay. I, I asked him because I needed oh, okay, to get okay. the host. So, and where um, did you shoot it? Just in my house. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with my parents' groceries. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, what was really cool was a week after she was like, I could get you on the Food Network. She didn't get my show picked up, but she got me on a show called Food's Greatest Hits, where me and oh, my okay. brother were a pair. And we got to eat food on the Food Network, which was oh, nice. like the first thing I ever booked. And we would, I would drive from Windsor to Toronto to film, and it was such a pain in the butt. Oh my god! How we, often? Uh, we did it, I think, maybe four or five times. Um, like a week? No, okay, just four I'm... or five episodes. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, That's not that bad. That but was still, a start. it's like yeah, five it's, hours, uh, it's one sucks. way, right? Uh, one way is a, like depending on traffic, about four hours. Four, oh yeah, my god. it's a whole day thing. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so then after that, the next thing that came up was the Bachelorette. And, oh yeah. Uh, so sorry. Hold on. I just want to clarify. I'm such a detail person. I need to like understand all this. So this ha- was happening. How old were you, by the way? Like you're done university and you're doing this like bar stuff and wedding singing and whatnot. 25 is when it all kind of turned around. So I was 25 when I auditioned when for sh- the Bachelorette. Okay. So when you did this cooking show, you were slightly younger than that. A like little 21. bit younger. Yeah. Okay. And you were living at home still yeah. and just like you know throwing some darts at the wall and yeah. and doing like the bar stuff. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, sorry, continue. So, yeah, and then this opportunity to be on The Bachelorette came up, and uh, <laughs> my motivation for it was that heartbreak that I was recently talking about. I always remembered she always really liked The Bachelorette, and I hated it. And in my head, I had this idea that if I go back on the show, I'll be this cool guy, and she'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll take him back, you know? Oh. It was my, like, crazy idea that I, I would get this person back into my life. Um but then I, when I was on the show, well, actually, even before going on the show, my agent, after I went through the whole audition process and they chose me, my agent told me I can't, she doesn't want me to do it because she found out that I don't get paid. Oh. And I was like, listen, there is no way I will ever get on a show that this popular and it'll give me such a great landing like space. Like it'll and give me a little platform, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so anyhow, uh, she didn't want me to do it and I had to fight her for it. And I ended up convincing her to do it. And then getting on this show, and I ended up being the first guy to kiss the bachelorette. And I remember going back, we were in Jamaica, back to my room, and laying in bed and going, oh, this idea I had that I would get back together with this girl that I really like is never going to (laughs) happen. But then that was kind of like a very big turning point for me where I was like, all right, inhibitions, let's throw them to the, the wind and see what happens. So when I got done with the bachelorette, I packed everything up and I moved to Toronto with no job, no nothing, no plan. And is your agent based in Windsor? She, yeah, she's from Windsor, but also has a lot of like places like here in Toronto yeah. and, and stuff like that. So anyhow, I, after I, I moved here, um, let's fast forward things a lot quicker, is... Uh, I've been here for about three years since moving here. I've booked about 45 national commercials for Budweiser, Walmart, Cadillac, CIBC. Um, the list goes on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and very fortunate. I'm very humbled by it and very blessed to get to do what I love. And then from that, um, I've done a few TV shows and movies so I did uh, one that I always really liked was called Forbidden Dying for Love where I play a, a killer who kills 
his wife, which was kind of fun to play because it's very different for me because I didn't kill my wife. I just killed my girlfriend. So, uh, um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then the big stuff that were kind of like that all happened this year is um, I booked my first uh, supporting lead in a Christmas movie and the lead main lead in it was Beverly Mitchell who was from 7th Heaven if you guys listening yeah I, I don't know how like people, if people remember that or not but it was a massive show uh, in like the early 2000s yeah right? oh it's huge that's where Jessica Biel got yeah. big from very very popular show so little Lucy is all grown up now mm-hmm. and I play her love interest in a new movie called A Christmas Comeback which is going to air on Up Network November 10th uh, this year and it's a nice little lovely Christmas movie it's gonna nice. be on at 7 o'clock and uh, yeah check it out um, that was really cool and then right after I booked a walk-on role in a TV show called The Boys which uh, that's on Amazon Amazon right? it was actually at one point the most streamed show on any streaming platform nice where did that shoot? in Toronto yeah oh, it's okay. filmed in Toronto um, got some really amazing actors and I got to do a scene with uh, two of the main leads and it was a, just a it just it's like literally dipping your toe in the world that you want to be in mm-hmm. and just being like okay i got my toe in let's work even harder to try and keep pushing in yeah so then i got that's probably the most known thing that you like outside of the bachelor which like, oh, i don't yeah. want to say it doesn't count but like it just it's not real it acting. wasn't like yeah. for when what people ask do. me like yeah. you're an actor and i say i'm on bachelor at canada they always go to wait a minute that's a show where you're an actor and i'm like no i was myself that was before I, I built up the courage to kind of get me to where I'm at. Um, and then the the one thing that I'm really, really looking forward to is I got cast a year ago uh, to be the lead in my own TV show. Nice, called, congrats. Uh, thank you. It's called Sherlock at Home, where I play a former detective who's now a stay-at-home dad, and it's very funny. Ah, yeah, so that should be coming out in the next couple months, and what I'm really hoping is that it gets... Have you shot it already? It's all shot. It's okay. all ready to go. I'm just waiting for uh, TLN to uh, release it. And then once it's released, I'm really hoping that we get some good feedback and then I can use that as leverage to keep um, moving up in my career. So that's the totally. kind of thing is um, for anybody wanting to get into acting, I it's such a long journey that everything you book is now a little stepping stone, that mm-hmm. little thing that you can keep doing. And everything you book is then used as leverage to get to that next step. So proving that I can be a lead on a TV show and if it is successful, then it somebody might be willing to take a chance on me so that's amazing yeah um i want to like reverse back again quickly to when you met your agent and when you got your agent because i think like that's such a big question for a lot of people and a lot of aspiring actors is like like when do you get one and like how do you go about it and and there's so much like um scam and stuff out there as well um so like you you said yours was from Windsor right like did you did she approach you did you approach her and like at what point in your career did you go in yeah she approached me which is that is a thing that I I think I really take for granted is I do see a lot of people struggling to get into agencies um, where, yeah, having them approach me, and I've been very lucky that other people have approached me and opportunities always keep kind of falling in my lap, but it, it goes back to that idea of create something, do anything, mm-hmm. um, so that if somebody sees it and sees any potential in you, they, they'll, they'll want to work with you, rather than I have a lot of people where they'll be like, oh, I see you in this commercial, it looks so easy, like, I can do that, and I'm like, have you ever taken an acting class? And they're like, no, and I was like, well, no one's going to, you have zero credibility in mm-hmm. this industry. And as much as it's about, you know, 
a lot of people go in with this idea that it's my dreams and like, oh, please help me like my dreams. It's a business. It's, yeah. People are putting money in you to make more money. That side doesn't care about your dreams. They care about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding that it's a business and you have to brand yourself. You have to have like my theory of what I've been doing is everything I post on Instagram is David. When you think of David, the correlation better be actor. Mm-hmm. And you just keep punching that into people's heads so that when the somebody comes up and they go, I need an actor. Boom, David's an actor. I'm the first person in their head. Mm-hmm. And they didn't think that's for every field. Mm-hmm. I say it applies. That's just like a universal truth. Whatever it is that you do, make it worldly known so that you can fix the problems if people need that person to fix that problem. Yeah, exactly. So your agent approached you and did mm-hmm. she see you in like any of your school plays? Uh, no, after? no, no. This was, I think, I think maybe it had something to do with Canadian Idol. And she messaged me, and I at first I tried a few things. This was just after I was finishing the musicals I was in, and I would do the commute, literally drive to Toronto. This wasn't even having a booking. I would drive to Toronto, audition for 15 minutes, and then drive all the way back home. Oh, it was a whole day God. thing, and I was losing so much money, and then that's when uh, I was like, I need to create my own content. And then that cooking show happened, and it kind of just, looking back, I'm like, wow, it's so crazy. It's like, as if that didn't happen none of this would happen yeah and i actually really love that's such a great example especially for people listening um of of taking something because that's been a i think a big lesson for me too is like taking something and just really making it your own and like you're a perfect example you're like i cannot cook it's not what i'm passionate about Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily even like to do it but you still managed to spin a cooking show in your favor and made Mm -hmm. it around a guy that can't cook and then that's the thing And people don't think to do that right what i think is so amazing from it too as much as i hate trump he has this quote or line in one of his books called perception is greater than reality yes I. so if you have a cooking show and i say hi my name is david i have a cooking show when i auditioned for things that were cooking related they go oh my god you have a cooking show you must be the greatest cook in the world and i'd just be like yes (laughs) i can order i am right (laughs) and it's there's there there's a difference between lying and just building this in the other person's heads of what you can be yes i do have a cooking show am i the world's greatest cook in the world no but will i let them think that until i can prove them otherwise Yes, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, and it's uh, crazy. I booked other things, even getting on the Food Network and all those things. It's then getting that on my resume. People be like, "You on the Food Network? Like, mm-hmm. oh my god! Like, you must have such great opinions on things." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, very, very blessed. Like, there is a huge element of luck as well, because yeah. uh, you never know uh, what is going to be good. But at the same time, I just say if if your motives are I like what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And you don't get swayed by somebody saying you should do this because it's just going to pander to whatever they think you should be doing. You're at a fault. Yeah. You're, you need to like find what makes you happy. And like we were saying, if you're good at something, whatever it is, you'll create a demand for it. Mm-hmm. And an audience, I think. So yeah. So on the, the tips for getting an agent and kind of getting into it, I was very lucky my agent reached out to me. But the tip I will always give for anybody who is interested in my world is go to acting classes because you see, what you see on TV, the reason why people get paid millions of dollars, it's the same thing as being a professional basketball player. It is a skill that needs to be practiced. And there's a really cool psychological thing that uh, I've been reading about that I definitely went through. It's called the Dunning 
Kruger effect. It's that people who know a little bit about something think they're experts, and people who are actually experts realize how little they know about mm-hmm. what they do. So they would do like they'd have a test between like basketball players, and if you would ask like a mediocre basketball player if he thought he was good, they would rate themselves like an eight out of ten. Where Steph Curry, who's potentially one of the best in the field would rate himself a six out of ten thinking that like he has so much more to learn right so when i got into acting i you know i i had a little bit of success and i was like i'm amazing and i'm so good and then i hit this wall and then i started doing more research and realizing oh shit i don't know anything Mm -hmm. that i really need to rebuild what i'm learning so for anybody, it is a learning thing. So, sorry, I want to quickly touch on that. What were some of the walls that you've um, hit since, like, basically your journey started? Oh, um, it's it's hard, very hard to explain because it's as if you hear so many things. Like, what you think of even ourselves, of who we are as human beings, is very. Um, very tied to the people who we surround ourselves with, right? So Mm -hmm. everything I've learned in my life has just been another person's bias of something else. So everything that person learned was from the people that they learned from that person. And Mm -hmm. what we think we know as knowledge or whatever is literally just what we've been told. So a really cool study is, you know, they, they say... Imagine you didn't know anything about the Green Bay Packers and you see everybody wearing these cheese heads and you didn't know that uh, Wisconsin is known for cheese. So I could say, the guy person could ask me, why do they wear cheese heads? And I could make up a lie and say, oh, they wear it because when football started, they used to use hollow out cheese and wear them as helmets. And then that person would go, oh, I never knew that. <laughs> And then that person goes and tells two friends and goes, hey, I just learned this thing that, you know, and it could spread across the entire world. Yeah. And then it could get back to me where they'd be like, oh, we heard you were the one who originated this. And I'd be like, yeah, I made it up. It's fake. Mm-hmm. But every single person had believed it. So that's the thing about like knowledge. And as as we grow as a species, you know, everything is kind of we're, we're learning more. So whatever might be a fact right now is irrelevant later. So uh, as I was doing my like studying of like human growth, human psychology and all that stuff, I had to break down a lot of what I thought things were, if that makes any sense. Like acting to me was, you know, I have these words on a page and I'm going to act it out in a way that I've seen before, but not understanding what that person might have psychologically and physically been going through and what's going on in their head. And a thing that what I'm... I would preach a lot, which is, it's the idea of we care so much about what people think about us, and we're making decisions thinking of them. So if I'm going to look sad, I'm thinking in my head, how can I look sad so that person thinks I'm sad, Mm -hmm. rather than just being sad. Mm -hmm. And it's such a unique thing, the more I learn as an actor, is this idea of what I have in my face, what it will look like. When I'm truly experiencing sadness and I look at myself in a mirror, it's it takes on its own form. Yeah, it's not so obvious. It's with not an so obvious. Down frown right. And- yeah, it's not so obvious. And and in human nature, we often say things. We could be thinking something in our head like, I hate this person. And then on the outside, you say something like, Hey, how are you? Right? It's this contradictory to the words coming out of our mouth do not reflect what's going on truly inside of us. And until I learned that as an actor, I it opened up a whole new ball game for me where I was like, Oh, I need to be so good that I'm thinking of, say I'm trying to play a character that 
he's been abused his whole life and he's deeply depressed but he hides it on the outside i need to be thinking of these depressing thoughts on the inside and even though i'm vocalizing it the thoughts and the feelings i'm having will shape everything from how my face feels to how the words come out of my mouth and it's like the fact that i'm starting to learn this now after being in acting for since i was in high school is like so crazy that i never even looked at it that way um so it's in any field as i say just keep wherever you hit a wall keep pushing out of that wall and try to learn more and even if you think it's irrelevant to what you're doing um you'll find that a lot of different fields overlap and the more you learn about different fields you can start applying it to your field Mm -hmm. excellent and um what has been i guess well actually tell me what it was like to work on the boys it's called the boys right? yeah the boys yeah that was that was amazing there was and and that was the other thing is going into something thinking we have this in our brains what we think is going to happen so I auditioned and I auditioned so many people auditioned just to have one line on the show I was supposed to be a reporter and literally just go up to the leads and go how's everybody holding up that was my one line and I had to audi- I had to go into two auditions just for one line because wow. it's so coveted it's such a competitive space that even just for that one little thing everybody wants it and you booked it and I booked it so you're the reporter what episode uh, so it'll be season two, episode one will be the episode you'll be able to see me in. Nice. And who are the leads in that show? Anthony Starr, um, who had his own show Banshee that I really liked. He's a fantastic actor. Um, I love Carl Urban, who's from Lord of the Rings. He played um, Judge Dredd in the recent Judge Dredd reboot. He's awesome. And then oh, I always forget her name. Uh, Anyhow, there's another girl who's also very fantastic that are in it. Nice. And it's, yeah, it's shot here in Toronto. Seth Rogen's an executive producer on it as well. Oh, nice. Um, Did you get to meet Seth? No, that would have been awesome. But uh, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, it was really cool for me. They had like, I want to say like 300 background extras. And I had like these cars picking me up and I was in these trailers and... It was funny in the morning I woke up and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to look at my line again just because if I mess up the one line I yeah, have, like... I'm going to go nuts. So I open up the file and I look and there's a whole page of dialogue of like dialogue that I never even saw what? before. And I was like, okay, well, all right, I'm just going to memorize all this. So I got to set and they gave me the script and they're like, we're so sorry we had some changes last night. Uh, can you learn these right now? And I'm like, actually, I woke up this morning and I, I already learned them. And he's like, perfect, we'll just bring you to set right now. So I went to set <laughs> and I just nailed it. I just got like nice. in a it's weird luck. Like I had this intuition that I needed to check my lines and I did. And That's, thank God. The scene went well. And then after the scene, I thought it went really well that they actually ended up contacting my agent and they're interested in bringing me back for another episode. Nice. So, so wait, you ended up with your one line and then having a whole scene. Having, oh my God. And was it in between, was it you and the other leads? Like two, your, yeah, your the two main leads. I, okay. I got to chat with them and do a scene with them, which was really nice. cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you what, uh, oh, what is your, um, method for learning lines uh i i just honestly repetition and i just do it do it over and over so much it's the thing is what as an actor uh, like a technique is you kind of read it in a monotone and then as i start to get more into the scene i try different ways to feel how it feels coming out of me like does that make sense or am i trying to force something or it doesn't make sense um and then i'll once i get 
the lines done, I'll, I'll grab my roommate and I'll force him to <laughs> read lines with me. And he's he's been great. He's been super helpful, like helping me with self-tapes. And um, another thing that I'm very lucky to have in my life, like a lot of people just don't have, it can be very expensive to go pay someone to do self-tapes for you. So I've been Which for our lucky. listeners, what are those? It's, it's Self-tapes is usually um, an at-home audition. Um, which has its goods and bads. Like you can take as many auditions until you get a great take. Uh, but at my downside is when I can get into the room and I see the director and he can see what I'm doing, he can then also redirect me and be like, actually, we're kind of looking for something a little like this. When mm-hmm. at home, I only get to choose my one way of what I think they lo- are looking for. Yeah. So usually it's if they're, they, they're too full to bring in everybody, they maybe bring in like five really well-established actors, but they're kind of interested in seeing what my take might be on it. They'll just ask me to shoot a tape over and they'll take a look at it which is what I actually booked I booked my Christmas movie off of a self tape oh nice yeah. awesome mm-hmm. cool um, and what's your sort of opinion or take on like the whole Hollywood um, like moving to LA Hollywood type of thing because I know there's like so many mixed reviews on that like before that was like the guaranteed next step like what most actors would do mm-hmm. um, but then obviously like so much is shot here in Toronto and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, like, yeah. What's your sort of? Take I don't on think that? there's any universal like. There is no universal thing. Obviously, I do think it's. I think it's a huge plus because there's so much filming down there. A lot of shows are casted in, in L.A. and then come and film in Toronto yeah. with Canadian actors. It's like I needed to move away from Canada to start filming in Canada again. Um, but I do think times are kind of changing. Like Toronto is becoming a huge hub. Uh, Netflix just rented out like two studios. CBS just built like a 200,000 square foot studio. So a lot of work is coming here. The downside sometimes is these American shows come here and all the leads are already taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't look at it as a, as a hindrance. I What I kind of try to do is very similar to the boys. You never know what's going to happen. I could go in hoping I have one line. Then, you know, they give me a whole scene and then I impress somebody maybe there that they go, hey, remember that reporter guy? Let's make him the lead in this next thing. It's it's those things that you have zero control over. You never know. As hippie as it sounds, it's like the universe works in such mysterious Mm -hmm. ways that what we try to plan for is like we have this idea that we want it to go this way, that the universe could get us to that goal but do it in a totally different way we never would have thought of yeah that like i i try not to be negative about things right now a really big shift in the acting world is multiculturalism everything wants to you know have ethnic people and uh, in it's of my white acting friends and including me you know we 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 turn to this idea of well it's not my fault it's you know i'm not booking because they're only casting these other people. And you can use that as an excuse. It, it might be one of the factors for sure. But for me, I go, okay, so all I'm saying is I need to be better. I need to be even better than I used to be. Yeah, it must have been easier for us, but there are still opportunities for us. And mm-hmm. I need to, yeah, the competition is harder and I'm in the most common actor is handsome white male. Because mm-hmm. we, we, that's what we see on TV and we figure we'll have success. And so we're in the most competitive market and there's even less roles for us now. But I go, I'm going to use that as a driving motivator. So recently in my own acting world, I kind of hit a a road bump and now started hitting the gym more. I feel healthier. I started 
taking the time to study more and it just those motivators it's motivated me in a way that you I can't even describe how beneficial it's been to have the down times and kind of self-reflection nice and yeah self-development and all mm-hmm. that stuff nice um quickly reverting back to the bachelorette um I know you said you were the first one to kiss the bachelorette mm-hmm. that oh, we are talking about this already I'm I don't know why I'm so confused by that when I think guys I think bachelor but it's because the you were on the bachelor yeah, and it was yeah, the yeah. one girl um t- tell me more about that experience like so you said it was shooting in Jamaica and like I know people who watch it they obviously have to know that it's like staged to a certain degree mm-hmm. but do you want to tell us a little bit more behind the scenes like what would they sort of set I you up I don't know if I'm I don't know I'm pretty far removed from the show that I I can explain what happened to me, so the first night I had a little hiccup and I ended up getting the last rose um, over like a joke that I said. And people who know me are like, that's so David. Because like even when I was in nervous situations, I make a joke to kind of like break the tension because I don't – it's very – now from what I've learned as an actor, I'm very comfortable opening up and sharing my feelings. But before, I always had this kind of toxic masculinity like don't show your feelings. Like yeah. get away from that. Um so the first night I have a little hiccup and I end up getting the last row. So what's going through my mind is like, okay, she must not like me that much. And that just means that you're the last one. Last one to, to pick. Like, okay. Yeah. So I was like, it would have been so like demoralizing for me to get sent home the first, first night. night because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's competition, but at the same time, it's this idea that if I didn't make it, I'm undesirable. Right. Right. Which is why I feel I feel so much empathy when I watch the American version and I see these girls being sent home because they take it so hard on themselves that why doesn't anybody like me? And it's just yeah. this one person's opinion of them. And they're all, they've gone on onto the show. They've beaten out so, so many, many people, people to be onto yeah. the show. And just because one person didn't have a connection or whatever, they go home and they're sad and they, you know, really critique. And I, I feel so much empathy towards those people because I was so nervous about having that as well. I ended up lasting till about the 10th, 9th, and 8th were the ones getting sent home. Nice. So just like my Canadian idol, I say 8th as well. <laughs> um, Something good is going to happen to you with that number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So what ended up happening for me was I, I, I remember for people who watch the show, the first cocktail night starts at late and then you're literally there for like 12 hours. The sun's literally risen. You've literally had no sleep. And then I get this rose at the end of the night and I have so much, like my heart was racing that like, they're like, okay, go back. We're going back to the hotel and you guys can go to sleep. And I was just laying there with my heart like, (laughs) where I'm like, whoa, like what, what am I doing? And then the producers come into my place and they were like, yeah, why, why'd you say that thing? And like, but you should know, like, you're one of her favorites. Like, she really, really likes you, which they obviously tell every single person. Yeah, yeah. So we're in Jamaica and I don't get on any of the date cards um, the first time around. So then that just even knocked me down even more where I was like, okay. I don't know. And, but I do understand the film world. So I was like, okay, I see what production They need doing. ratings and stuff yeah, too. I'm like, yeah. okay, I see what they're doing to me. So I, I, I don't let it get to me. I would just yeah. kind of go and have drinks with the boys and really enjoy my time while I was there. So one day we were at lunch and I'm walking back from lunch. One of the producers grabs me. He's like, you're coming with me. And I'm like, oh, like, what's up? And he's like, okay, so the bachelorette is in this cabin. We want you to randomly go find this cabin and mm. hop this fence and go and say hi to her. 
I was like, oh, okay. So I walked <laughs> through this area and hopped this fence. And before going in, they were like, you should sing to her again. And I was like, all right. Again, you sang to her already? And they ended up not even airing this. Uh, they ended up taking this out. But you can actually, to prove that it actually did happen, in the trailer, they show me Kiss Her, but mm. then never aired it. Oh. Yeah, I have no idea why they didn't do that. But I sing to her again. And it was so funny. It was as if... I, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest ladies' man, but I can read when somebody's in the mood to kiss me. And so after I sing and I sit down, and she just kind of starts gravitating towards me. Like, <laughs> never happened in my entire life. And uh, I end up kissing her for a little bit, and I thought I thought I was pretty good. And uh, then as I'm leaving, she grabs me again, we kiss again, and then, you know... I'm now on this high where I'm like, all right, I'm doing really well. Everything's going great. And the producers are like, are you starting to like fall in love? And I'm just like, I went from really, 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 really caring about somebody on the outside world to them trying to think that me just having a kiss with this girl is like, I'm starting to fall in love. I know. Do you guys even know what love is? Like, you guys are nuts. So then later at that night is the cocktail party and I sit down to talk with her and things are going good and then a producer talks in her ear she flips the whole conversation and she goes do you feel like that kiss was rushed and maybe like we don't have any chemistry and I was like (laughs) okay I'm like yeah I'm like you know that is a valid point but we're kind of in this hyper space you know bubble where everything's moving so quickly in in the sake of a normal relationship and I couldn't even really get any words out and then they just kind of cut it and I ended up like now back down where I'm like what was going on like we just had this lovely moment before mm-hmm. and now we're we're at this and then it was funny was the way the show was cut like the that episode was they just totally cut all this stuff oh my like gosh. so when I watch it and see the series of events how it was cut together I was like Oh, okay. And then the next week, you know, I didn't really talk to her that much. So then I was like, okay, I guess I'm going home this week. And then I stayed and I'm like, all right, I know nothing of what is going on in the show. And I feel like they almost already pretty much have like a general like outline of the entire show. Yeah. And that's the thing you need to make it entertaining. It's, it's a, it's a a TV show and ratings are important. And even for me is I love everyone who worked on that that production from uh, producers to, uh, you know, camera crew, everyone is just, you meet all these people and you understand that this is their livelihood and that the success of this show means that they get to feed their families. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I will flip a table for you. I will punch somebody. I will make this show the most entertaining show that, so you guys can have a livelihood to support your families doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, the, the producers, uh, like, um, Michael, Keeley, Claire, they've been, I tell them all the time and I don't think they realize how much this show has done for me, not even just for giving me like a social following, but confidence. Yeah. They, they saw something and believed in me that I didn't, I didn't even believe in. I'm one of Canada's top bachelors. I was like me. I always saw mm-hmm. myself as an underdog that they saw something in me that that flipped a switch for me to like, all right, if I can do this, then what else can I do? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It opens up your world. Yeah. Does uh, is she is the bachelorette with uh, the guy that she ended up choosing? No. So she ended up there. I think they lasted like three months. But that's the thing is you're in this bubble where it's really hard. Like you don't know. You're, you're being told so many things. You don't really know what you truly feel inside because yeah. it is a competition as well. So as, as males, we want to win. We mm-hmm. want to win love. 
So uh, yeah, I know it's such a crazy concept. Um, but I'm very uh, Kevin who who won. He ended up getting to go on the Bachelorette Paradise in the states, and he ended up meeting a girl that he's now. Um, I think he's engaged. She's going to be getting married to Astrid. Oh, nice. And it's it's crazy as looking at his journey and seeing that was his thing that got him into this thing to eventually meet the person who he truly yeah. loves. Um, so I'm very happy for him. He's, I got to room with Kevin a few times, and he's a lovely individual. And even Jasmine, uh, even chatting with her outside of the show. Is she is, the Bachelorette? Yeah, and, and I, I think we actually really get along. I, I would... Outside world, I think we would have been way more compatible than yeah. this hyperloop thing. Yeah. I think we, uh, she's very similar. She's very spiritual, and as am I. And I feel like we would have a lot of great talks. Um, but it doesn't. It's not organic in the show, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and at the same time, I I, I met a friend of mine, Seth O'Shea, who's on the show, and he moved in with me because both of me and him were like, well, "Let's go to Toronto and let's pursue this thing." And if it wasn't for that show, I wouldn't have had somebody to move in with in Toronto and lighten my load of like rent and nice. having to move in with somebody I don't know. And that's so, who you live with now? Uh, no, so I lived with him for about a year, and then okay. he went to South Africa for modeling and stuff. And I wanted to get a, a new roommate to fill the time. And then he ended up being so amazing. that I was like, uh, so my current roommate uh, is like a younger version of me. He's in music. And even seeing his progression is in just surrounding yourself with people who are so motivated in what they do. He's a Zabo. Check him out on Instagram and stuff. He's actually playing in China right now. Currently, as we're nice. talking, he's playing music festivals and stuff. And in China, he's huge. And in here, no one knows who he is. So what I think is so crazy is he could have gone his whole life thinking he was a failure and then he goes to the other side of the world and they, they're worshiping him and they love his music. Yeah. And I'm like, it's such a, globalization such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And we're so behind too that probably in two or three years, like everyone here will know him. But it's like, I feel like Europe copies Asia and then yeah. we, or and then the States copies Europe and then we copy the States. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's yeah. in like so many different industries. Yeah, and it's and I I I think it's great. It gives him a platform to build his name mm-hmm. and then prove like, look, I'm doing it over here. Like, why don't you give me a shot? So and then from doing that, he now has uh, booked some shows in Texas and Orlando oh, to nice. play his first American him. shows without having played a show in Canada yet. Yeah, he's crazy. never played a show. In, I can't. I, yeah, I'm pretty positive he's never played a show in Canada. Yet in China and America is where he's going to start making his mark. And then, Good like you him. said, in three years, Canada's going to be like, please oh, play for us. And he's yeah. like, where were you when I was at the bottom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, tell me about your favorite footwear that you brought today. Yes. So I brought these lovely boots, uh, these brown shoes. Um, they're kind of like symbolic of just like of my career, I guess, is um, I got them from the Christmas movie that I was mentioning earlier, Christmas Comeback. And I went to wardrobe, and these were the boots I wore for the, basically in the entire movie. So when I finished, I was like, can I keep these boots? And they were like, yeah, for sure. And getting into the boots, they the wardrobe lady, she was very funny. She's like, we want you to be sexy. And she's like, we want boots on you that are going to, you know, women look at you, and they want to have sex with you in those boots, and they don't want you to take the boots off. You just be naked and, and be in those boots. So I always thought that was really funny. And being able to take them home, they're kind of like a symbol of like, this was my first um, big acting job in a full length movie, which was always, that was always my dream as a kid. I always would see people on the big screen and go, that'll be me someday. And even when I got there, I was still like, "Eh, I'm filming this movie, whatever. I I was in the acting world for a little bit that I kind of started 
you know, getting a little desensitized that it was just my job and this is what I do. And and then when I walked into the movie theater room and I watched it with like 30 of my friends to see myself on the big screen for the first time, it kind of just hit me where I was like, huh, that dream I had as a kid, this is technically, I fulfilled it. Yeah. I, I got to where I always dreamed that I would be. So I made it. And so now everything after this is just kind of... Um, Growing it. Yeah. The cherry on top. And it's it's Amazing. it's kind of a, a thing that I always hate is because it's that idea. I want more. Like it's like people would have given everything to be where I'm at, and then when I'm here, I'm like, I just want more, and I just want more. So being able to step back and really appreciate how far I've come in these these shoes, as we're saying, like the the path and the journeys that we take, is seeing it as a whole like the longer I live and I start looking back I'm like oh when I was 22 and I had that sad time it actually prepared me to overcome yeah. this thing and you see it as a big picture I can't wait till when I'm like 60 and see where I'm at oh and, my God, and, yeah. and starting to link how everything kind of was intertwined together and I know people could just say it's just sheer coincidence but I I, mm, I don't believe I that. truly believe in like some kind of I kind of hate the idea that everything's destined to happen like it's it's already gonna happen where I'm just like that would suck because I'm a. It, no matter what I do, a predetermined thing is going to happen. And I kind of have this theory that like the universe will help us get to what we desire. But if you choose to just not do anything and you want to just sit at home and rot away, the universe will let you do that mm-hmm. too. But if you can put out there like this is what I want and I'm going to work my butt off for it, it kind of just – it will open doors for you to kind of just be like – and not even just one door. Like, they'll put that door in front of you, and if you miss your opening, it'll go, we'll put another one mm-hmm. later down here for you. It sounds so hippie bullshit, but no, I, as I've learned as an actor, that stuff is pretty spot on. And more people than not actually believe in that. Like, everyone always is prefacing it with, like, well, I don't know. But mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's... Like, I think at this point now in your life, and certainly in mine, I've, like, seen that firsthand happening. Like, yeah. new doors and, and you know, uh, redirects in your life to the where, where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was it? Oh, one piece of it. I know you've given a lot of advice already, which has yeah. been great, but one like sort of uh, like pinnacle piece of advice you could give to somebody uh, walking a similar path to yours. Yeah, I would say it's honestly when I start uh, this new show I'm going to start called Actors on Acting, my first episode's going to be on it because it is, I truly think it's the most important thing. And it's letting go of what people think about you, which it sounds so simple, but it is one of the hardest things ever because it's ca- it's kind of counteractive. It's like, well, if I don't care what they think, then I'll never get that thing that I want. I think it might be different. The difference between like respecting somebody's like opinion about you and like mm. making it it all about that. I yeah, think, like, those are different things. Yeah, so we're always trying. Um, Joseph Gordon Levitt gave a really uh, good TED talk about this ideal of. Um, Oh God, what's the word that he uses? Um, For attention. We're doing things just to get attention. When you're only doing it to get attention, it ruins creativity. Mm -hmm. It's like he says when he's in the moment and the world just kind of fades away and he hears this, he kind of calls it like a trance, like ready, set, action. He's like, those three words put me into a trance. I look over at the other person and instead of thinking in my head, I need to be better than this person. I need to get more attention. I need to be 
do something. He goes, I just put myself in the moment. I look at this person and just let it take me. And I hope that both of us feel the same way. And I'm just in this moment of creativity. And that's what he loves. And he also admits, he goes, I go on Twitter and I write this tweet and I go, this is the best tweet and everybody's going to love this tweet. And it kind (laughs) of consumes you. And it's like, it's so hard to get away from is we have this idea that, and we live in this narcissistic world where we we post things hoping it gets a certain reaction. Mm -hmm. I'm only posting this, like I'm posting these bikinis. I see it so much with food, like when people go to a nice restaurant, they think they're posting it for themselves. They literally subconsciously, they're posting that to go, look what I have that you don't have. I hope you feel like shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, once you can start breaking down this idea that of what people think of you, um, especially as an actor, is where you're going to see so much growth. Um, nice. And I, now, how advice that I can give of how you can break that is... What I see a lot in society is we've kind of gotten to this point where if you're on an elevator, if you're on a subway, everybody just sits there and you pick up your phone and you don't look or interact with people around you. And because it's now kind of becoming like if you do talk to somebody, you're kind of like weird. Yeah, for It's sure. that idea of what people will think of you is you are weird if you try to talk to somebody on a subway that you don't know. Mm-hmm. So my new thing, of, I'm trying to break the habit, is if I sit there, I put my phone in my pocket and I'll see something and... My thought is, how can I make somebody else's day better in any capacity? So a story that happened to me was I got onto an elevator and there was this older lady who had a pink suitcase and her whole entire outfit was pink. <laughs> and I looked at her and I was just like, oh, I love how you, uh, you, you decided to pair your whole outfit with your suitcase. And she goes, just trying to bring a little color into the world. And I was like, well, uh-huh. I'm like, I think you're doing a great job. So the elevator ends and she gets off the elevator and she pauses for like a second and looks back at me and she goes, I needed that. And just walked onto her day. And I was just like, it's so crazy. It had nothing to do with, you know, I'm not hitting on her. I'm not mm-hmm. doing anything. My thought was, how can I make this person have a better day? And the other thing I like kind of doing is we're so tied to like fashion, which is really big in, in how we feel. And... If I see something wearing something I genuinely think is great, I'll say it. If yeah. I, somebody's on the street and I'm at a, a red light and I look over and somebody's got these awesome shoes on or something, I'll look at the shoes and I go, those shoes are amazing. And that feeling that I even get when somebody says something to me like that, like, oh, Especially I when there's shoes. no gain for you. No gain. Zero gain, zero nothing. I'll never see this person again in my life. That being able to take the moment to make that person have a little bit of a better day, I think is so cool. It's such a, a powerful thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all of your advice and stories. Um, You guys listening can uh, follow David on Instagram at David underscore Pinard. So it's P-I-N-A-R-D. And you guys can obviously follow the podcast at Coming Up In My Sneakers. Um, Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you guys like my podcast, if you could give a five-star review, that would be great. I would really appreciate it. Um, Otherwise, that's it for this episode. I'll see you guys next week. And don't get caught wearing dirty sneakers.